Welcome to the Chosen People Radio Program, a production of Chosen People Ministries. On this program, you'll hear inspiring stories, learn about messianic apologetics, and discover God's plan for Israel and you. Now let's welcome our hosts, Mitch Glazer, President of Chosen People Ministries, and Robert Walter, our New York Regional Director. Shalom, dear friends. Welcome to Chosen People's program, the radio program that we love to share with you because... um, We want you to understand the richness of the heritage we all have in Christ through uh, the Jewish people, through the Jewish Bible, and I'm so glad that you've you've come to join us today. We're going to continue the series on the names of God, and we've sort of just gotten started with it, and uh, I'll reconnect you with the last one so that you know where we are, and uh, then we'll go on uh, from there. It's a very, very rich study. Uh, There have been some great books uh, on the names of God, and we've tried to distill and summarize and add a little bit more of, believe it or not, a Jewish perspective uh, to the names uh, for God. And uh, we're mostly focusing on the Old Testament scriptures right now, and then eventually we'll, we'll move into the New Testament as well. And so with me is Bobby Walter, our regional director for New York City of Chosen People Ministries, and uh, we're, we're grateful for Bobby and for his practical experience as a missionary leader in the city with the largest concentration of Jewish people in the United States. And uh, so welcome, Bobby. Great to have you. Yes, thank you, Mitch. Shalom to you and shalom to all of our listeners. Uh, as always, we are incredibly grateful that you're tuning in. And uh, like Mitch said, we have, I think, just a, a program that's jam-packed uh, over these next few weeks talking about the names of God. And uh, Mitch, as you know, as, as I know, and I'm sure many of our listeners know, when we come to the scriptures, whether it's the Tanakh, the Old Testament, or the New Testament, we find uh, many different names that are used for God, uh, titles that are used for God, and, and they reveal so much about His character, about His nature, about who He is, about how He operates, and, uh, and just so much about, about His plan, even, of salvation. Uh, so, Mitch, why don't you tee us off here and uh, and pick up where we left off on this particular name of God that we're talking about today? You got it, Bobby. Though I'm not a I'm not a golfer, but I know <laughs> okay. how to tee off. Okay, all right. I, I, I got I got that one, you know. But uh, I'll step up to the plate. I'm a little more of a baseball. I like that guy. one too. Yeah, you, you know, right up to the so, free throw line. <laughs> <laughs> Enough with sports now. Uh, the names uh, of God. Uh, two of the major names for God in the Hebrew Scriptures are Elohim and Yahweh, or Jehovah. And for the next couple of uh, weeks, we're going to look at Elohim, because it, there are many different facets. It's like a diamond, like a beautiful jewel. Mm. And you have to hit it from a number of different uh, angles. And so the name Elohim I would spell it for you in Hebrew, but that might not help you. But Elohim is one of the major names for God. And uh, it has uh, many, again, rich facets and layers that are used both in the Bible and even in Jewish tradition. Uh, the, the Jewish community has recognized the various names for God as well. And there's a lot of teaching in Judaism about the various names for God. So the root and the meaning of Elohim uh, comes from the Hebrew word El, which is pretty much a generic term for God or deity in Semitic languages. 
And so the word El can refer to any kind of God, even to false gods. It's the common word used for false gods in the Old Testament scriptures. And in fact, Yahweh is never used of false gods. El is used of false gods. But El is also used of the God. And when you add Im, Elohim, that's a suffix to the Hebrew word El, which when you add Im to any Hebrew word, you've got a plural. Right. Any so any masculine Elohim, Hebrew word, if you want to make it plural, you add im at the end. You do. Yeah. And so um, when we refer to uh, Elohim, we're referring to uh, the God of Israel. And it's usually understood uh, in, a, in a variety of different ways, but it refers to God's power and authority and really to his essential nature. And so it's used in the Bible from the very beginning uh, uh, to the end of the of the Hebrew scriptures. In fact, according to my research assistant, the name Elohim is used for God about 2,500 times in the entire Old Testament. Now, Torah is the five books of Moses. Tanakh is an acronym, which is in Hebrew, T for Torah, N, the N for Nevi'im, that's the prophets, and the K sound, K, uh, ketubim, the writing. So we say Tanakh. So Tanakh is the entirety of the Old Testament scriptures. Torah is the technically the five books of Moses. So 2,500 times in the full uh, Tanakh, the whole Hebrew Bible. Uh, there's also uh, an interesting critical view of the Old Testament. And, uh, you know, I had to go to seminary and endure uh, learning about these views, and uh, they never made sense to me. They still don't make sense to me, but I feel obligated morally to at least bring it up, and that is that some people say that there were multiple authors to the Torah, the five books of Moses, and it wasn't really just Moses. It was written over a longer period of time. It wasn't revealed at Sinai, and uh, there were multiple authors. And one of the ways you can tell that there are multiple authors is some authors tend to use Elohim and others tend to use Yahweh or Jehovah. However, in most of the five books of Moses, both words are used. Right. And, and so when you try, I mean, can you imagine taking a scissors to your five books of Moses and trying <laughs> try to cut it up and restructure your, your book based upon what word for God is being used? And you'll see, I mean, in the same sentence, you'll see that as we go through these, you'll see that the, both names are used. So uh, this was part of the whole literary criticism movement, not only of the Hebrew Bible, but literary criticism in the uh, late 19th century, early 20th century, mostly starting uh, with German critical scholars at mm -hmm. various theological seminaries. Yeah. Dur and during it was a literary the Enlightenment criticism. period, where... It was, uh, or the non-enlightenment period, right? You know, right, where <laughs> science and reason uh, were exalted. I wish they used reason. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Okay. I, my personal views have already been displayed very, very bluntly, and so, <laughs> you know, uh, it's not. It didn't make any sense to me, and and I thank God I I went to Talbot Theological Seminary. My professor at that time was Charles Feinberg, and we've named our chosen people partnership program with Talbot, the Charles Feinberg Center for Messianic Jewish Studies, where we offer a full Master of Divinity in Messianic Jewish Studies. But I remember Dr. Feinberg getting up and talking about 
what they call the JEPD theory, the Jehovah's, the Elohist, and the priestly, and uh, what's the, the D? The Deuteronomist. Deuteronomist, yeah, yeah the Deuteronomist. And uh, it's been a few years. And so Dr. Feinberg did a great job of deconstructing these theories, <laughs> you know, but uh, they've never made any sense. So I just mention it because someone might try to show how smart they are and say, hey, wait a minute, there's a difference in uh, writers, and that's why Elohim is being used as opposed to uh, Jehovah or Yahweh. Well, um, that's not what we read in the Bible. It's not how uh, the authorship of the five books of Moses is referred to in the New Testament, and so I think we're standing on pretty good ground. Um, now, who recorded the death of Moses? That's another discussion. We will do that one day when we do hard-to-answer questions mm. about the Old Testament. And uh, So Elohim is a primary root word for God. It's a primary name for God, but there are a number of complex terms for God where El is used and then another Hebrew word is used to further describe God. Remember, we believe these names are windows into the very nature of God. They are expressions of his being, his person, his nature, and his attributes. And it's, it reflects who he is. And so when El is combined with another Hebrew term, it is usually focusing in on one attribute or part of his nature. And uh, there's some beautiful, beautiful, picturesque, colorful, four-dimensional terms or phrases that are used uh, for God when you combine these terms and they become complex. So, Bobby, want to list some of those for yeah, us? Yeah, I would love to, uh, because like you said, Mitch, they're so beautiful. So uh, one that we get, uh, it's one of my favorites because uh, there's a beautiful messianic worship song uh, that goes by the same title, where we get to sing about this attribute of God, and it's El Elyon, God Most High. And that is from Genesis 14, verses 18 and 19, where we find Melchizedek. He's uh, he's encountering, he's, he's sharing bread and wine with Abraham, uh, and then he's identified as the priest of God Most High, the priest of El Elyon. So there there is no God higher. He is the Most High God. He is the supreme uh, Lord of lords and, and God of gods. Uh, another one is uh, also from Genesis, from Genesis 16. This is El Roi, the God who sees, El Roi. Uh, in Genesis 16, 13, it says this, she gave this name to the Lord who spoke to her. You are the God who sees me. For she said, I have now seen the one who sees me. Uh, so again, talking about that attribute of God where he uh, He sees everything. You know, the, the eyes of the Lord are are everywhere. He he's he sees everything. He knows everything. He's uh, no, nothing is hidden from his sight. Uh, Mitch, another one. You know, I could just keep going, right? Uh, El sure. Olam, the everlasting God. El Olam. Uh, we see that in Isaiah forty verse twenty eight says, "Do you not know? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the Creator of the ends of the earth." So again, what can we extrapolate from that name of God about his identity, his character? Uh, who he is. Well, he has no end. He has no beginning, no end. He just is everlasting. And then talking about songs, Amy Grant, of course, popularized another one, El Shaddai. Mm. And uh, it's a, it also is a beautiful name for God built upon the Hebrew word El. And uh, that's in Genesis 17.1. I am almighty God, God said to Abram, 
when he told Abram that um, he was going to uh, fulfill his promises mm-hmm. uh, to the Jewish people and to his seed. And so El Shaddai is also one of those beautiful names. I really love something that has really become popularized because of um, some great Christmas music, you know. And so in Isaiah 9, 6, we read, For a child is born to us, a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders. He will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and Prince of Peace. And so El Gibor is Mighty God. But it's an interesting, uh, Gibor is an interesting term because it's, it's really a military term. Mm. And so this is God who fights for us. And maybe we can just take a moment and think about what that means to us individually. You know, we have a a God who fights for us. And of course, um, in this passage, we learn that God is a wonderful counselor. He counsels us. He's an everlasting father. He's our father forever. And he's also the Sar Shalom, the Prince of Peace. These are all uh, predictive names of Jesus, the Messiah, that were beautifully fulfilled in his person. And so he is the God who fights for us. Ephesians 6 tells us we're in spiritual warfare. Mm -hmm. And isn't it wonderful to know that when it comes to fighting spiritual warfare, we we always seem to think that we're the ones fighting, Mm. you know, but actually using the word of God, of course, as a sword and and so on, there are offensive elements uh, to our battling against evil. Uh, especially evil in in high and demonic places. Mm -hmm. Uh, But we have to recognize that uh, it's this greater son of David who was born of a Jewish virgin, who died for our sins and rose from the dead, sits at the right hand of the Father, who continues to fight our battles. And uh, he fights our battles. And so if you're struggling today and if you uh, you need a couple of victories in your life, whether it be your health, or whether it be with a child or a grandchild, or whether it be uh, some kind of financial issue, you have to remember that you have someone who's all-powerful who battles on your behalf. And so we grab hold of this mighty warrior uh, through prayer. And uh, that's one of the most important elements of self-defense that we have, because it doesn't depend upon us but we cry out to the God who hears us and we ask him to fight uh, the difficult battles we face uh, for us. You will find it everywhere in sermons, political speeches, and even self-help messages. All these forms of communication often refer to the Bible. In each case, the speaker claims to have the right interpretation of scripture. With so many voices bombarding us, how do we evaluate what is true? We want everyone to have the chance to study God's Word in depth. That is why we have created the Chosen People Bible Institute, an online certification program from a Messianic Jewish perspective. When you take a class with the Chosen People Bible Institute, you will become better equipped to understand Scripture through Jewish eyes and apply it to your daily life. Whether you are a new believer or have studied God's Word for years, the Chosen People Bible Institute is for you. Scholars in Messianic Jewish studies will guide you through fascinating topics, including the life and legacy of the Apostle Paul, Nazarenes, the first Messianic Jews, 
and Jewish evangelism. Are you ready to transform your walk with Yeshua and see scripture like never before? Sign up today. Welcome back. You're listening to The Chosen People. And coming up right now, we're going to hear from Randy Newman. No, not that one. Another one. Who, as a young man, had committed to doing everything right, but he couldn't help but wonder if there was more to life. I know you're referring to my dear friend who has written a number of terrific books on evangelism. His latest book is called Mere Evangelism, where he identifies some evangelistic principles in the writings of C.S. Lewis and does just such a wonderful job. Anyway, he's hysterical, and I think that you're going to love his testimony. And it's, it's one of the testimonies I wouldn't even think twice about sharing with a Jewish friend who doesn't know the Lord. I think for a, a big chunk of the first, I don't know, 20 years of my life when I could start thinking, if there was a bubble coming out of the back of my head telling me what I was thinking, it would probably be something like, there's got to be more to life than this. I was raised in a Jewish home on Long Island, suburbs of New York City. And our family was very strongly culturally Jewish. We went to Hebrew school, we learned about Jewish culture, we learned about participating in Jewish worship. I love the music, I love the sound, I love the prayers, what they meant. Um, and I, I, I really wanted to learn all that I could about it because it was so pleasant and it, and it promised to connect me to God. And yet it never did. It was always a disappointment. My family was not necessarily all that religious, um, but I started taking Judaism really quite seriously. And so I, I started studying Judaism a lot on my own. And uh, when I was 15, I remember um, the Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement. This was the day that I was gonna finally connect with God. I was gonna fast, I was not gonna drive in the car, I was gonna say all of the prayers, I was gonna confess all of the sins, I was gonna get it right so that finally I would connect to God. I did everything exactly the way you're supposed to do it. And it didn't work. I was walking home and I thought, it didn't work. God seems just as far away as he was 24 hours ago. And I was walking along and I looked down, I was dressed up in a suit and I wore dress shoes and I went, oh no, you're not supposed to wear leather shoes on Yom Kippur. That's what the rabbis taught. And I thought, ah, oh, that's it. That's why it didn't work. I wore the wrong shoes. I gotta wait another whole year to get this right? That's crazy. Okay, God, you, you gotta show me how this works because I, I can't remember all of these millions of rules. This friend of mine invited me to go to his church youth group. I thought, I'm Jewish, we don't do church anything, we don't do church youth group. He said, listen, it's not a religious thing, it's just a fun thing. High school kids from our church get together, we do lots of fun things. And he said, the girls are cute. So I said, okay. So we're on this bus and we're going to the beach and some guy gets up at the front, the front of the bus and says, hey everybody quiet down, we're gonna pray. And he prays that the bus doesn't break down, that we have a great time at the beach and that nobody gets badly sunburned. And then he says, in Jesus name, amen. And I thought, these people are crazy. You don't bother the almighty with things like sunburn. 
They talked a lot about knowing God. They used this phrase about a personal relationship with God. And they prayed as if he was right there and they, that, that they knew him. But, but I, I just I had to keep pushing it off because, no, I'm Jewish. We don't do this Jesus stuff. First year of college for me was lots of fun, lots of parties, lots of beer, until this terrible, terrible night in the middle of my sophomore year. Uh, I lived in a high-rise dorm uh, at college. I was up on the sixth floor and I knew the guys on the floor and one of the guys um, crashed through the, uh, a window in a lounge and he, and he fell to his death. And it was just, it was so crazy, it was so upsetting. I remember sitting at his funeral thinking, okay, I got, I, I, I can't just keep joking around. I gotta get some serious answers. And so I decided to read the Bible, not just the Tanakh, but this time also that, that New Testament that those friends gave me. I, I thought it was gonna be this totally foreign uh, Gentile book. It was very Jewish. This, this Jesus claimed to be God. He claimed to be the Messiah. He claimed that he always existed. He claimed that he could forgive sins. And his death was not just some martyr's death, but his death was to pay for sin, to connect people to God. I remember reading in Isaiah, that was my favorite book in the Tanakh, that it's not that God has separated himself from you. You've separated yourself from God. Your sins have made a separation between you and God. And when I read that when I was a sophomore in college, it all started making sense. And I remember sitting at my dorm room desk and I, it was something like a prayer. I didn't really quite know how to pray, but it was, um, thank you God that life is not pointless and meaningless and absurd. Thank you that there is meaning and it's in you. It's, it's found in you. When my mom was 71, she sent me this email, kind of out of nowhere. Um, I, I think I'm gonna read the New Testament. Okay. And she starts sending me all these emails with questions about Jesus. And then, and then um, I sent her a book, uh, Betrayed by Stan Telchin. Five years later, we're talking on the phone. She says, you know, I think I'm gonna have the same problem that that guy in the book that you sent me had, Stan Telchin. When I, when I tell my Jewish friends that I'm a believer in Jesus, I think they're gonna reject me. And I thought, did my mother just say, I'm a believer in Jesus? She did, my, my mother said that. You're listening to The Chosen People, which is produced and sponsored by Chosen People Ministries. It's our desire to practice the Apostle Paul's mandate from Romans 1.16 to reach the Jewish people first. And we'd love for you to prayerfully consider how you can partner with us in this effort. You'll find us online at chosenpeople.com radio. And when you reach out today, we'll send you a copy of our booklet, God's Plan and Purposes for the Jewish People. When you reach out to us and order this book, you're going to really love it and enjoy it. It's, it's short, but it really tells the Bible story from a Jewish perspective. God's purpose has always been to save the Jewish people through the Messiah, Yeshua, Jesus. This reminds me of the Word of God in Isaiah 62, verse 1, where we're told that God's heart burns for salvation to shine like a torch upon Jerusalem and Zion. The purpose of this booklet is to give my fellow Jewish friends and family members, along with believers all around the world, an overview of God's plan for the Jewish people as revealed in the Bible. And we'll send you the booklet, God's Plan and Purposes for the Jewish People, free of charge when you call 888-293-7482-888, the number two, and the word Yeshua, Y-E-S-H-U-A. And then don't forget, 
If you'd like more information about this weekly program, or if you'd like to listen to past episodes, just visit us online at chosenpeople.com slash radio. And now let's wrap up today's program with the Aaronic Benediction. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord lift his countenance upon you and be gracious to you. May the face of the Lord shine upon you and give you peace. B'Shem Shel Yeshua HaMashiach, Sar Shalom. In the name of Jesus the Messiah, the Prince of Peace.